Hello, pals. As you'll hear in this episode, this is the first podcast that Melissa and I recorded side by side in the same room. But as luck would have it, we had a bit of an audio snafu on this one, so things don't sound like they usually do. We thought about trying to recreate the conversation, but it seemed to rob the episode of the spontaneity that we like to have. So while the audio may not sound great, we think the conversation was still awesome. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Boyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And with us today, we're so thrilled, fan favorite, like literally... My sister's favorite guest <laughs> thus far. I believe she sure said, hey, she was great. She was <laughs> I like, think wow. she said, she's the best conversation you've ever had. Thanks, Caleb's sister. Yeah. And uh, for those of you... So I should give a name. It's <laughs> Jana Wakefield. Because um, <laughs> it was Jana Lee before, but we always ask our new guests, or you know, all those questions. But our returning guests, we ask, "What have you been up to?" And that's one thing you could tell us you've been up to. Why the hell do you have a different name, Jana? Because uh, my Caleb and I got married. Wow! Congratulations! Thanks. I have a new name. Everything else is the same. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, and he is wonderful, and I'm just very happy for you both. It's wonderful news. Thank you. And for those of you who are like, which, which episode contained this fantastic conversation? I'm, I'm trying to recall. It's <laughs> season one, episode 11, Solace. And that was a real bummer episode, so we tried to give you a less bummerific one today, but Jan is looking skeptical, like maybe we did not do that. <laughs> It's <laughs> pretty heavy, guys. Come on. The last one that you were on didn't have any erectile dysfunction commercials. So That's I think true. we're doing better. We're going in the <laughs> right direction. There's also a momentous development on today's episode because I am in Lawrence, Kansas on vacation. And so for the first time, Melissa and I are in the same room. We're literally sitting right next to each other. And we're just sharing a mic. So if we sound a little different than usual, it's because we're splitting a mic. Splitting a mic. Like, like you might a banana split. But I'm so glad that we get this like in-person energy. <laughs> I know. It's so fun. I wish Jana were in the room with us. I love you, Jana. But Jana, where are you? <laughs> yeah. I am in Springdale, Arkansas, in my backyard, enjoying a beautiful sunny day. That sounds great. So nice to have you back. Thank you for coming back. Happy to do it. I like this this show. I love your podcast. Oh, thanks. We love you. <laughs> well, let's dive into this debatably bummer of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> you be the judge. We'll figure that out. Yeah. It is Parenthood Season 3, Episode 4, Clear Skies from Here on Out. It was written by Bridget Carpenter, directed by Adam Davidson. It originally aired on October 4th, 2011. And here's the NBC synopsis. Zeke lands his first commercial, prompting Camille to reflect on her own achievements. Sarah and Mark take their friendship to a new level, while Hattie and Alex grow apart. Meanwhile, Crosby and Adam disagree over a minor parenting crisis. Drew's first date with Amy doesn't go as planned, and Jabbar and Max hit a rough patch in their friendship. Everyone, this is the first time I was able to, like, read the notes. Like, She's that was reading fun. over my shoulder. Um, obnoxious. Critiquing anyway. my voiceover. That anyway. was exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I thought we would maybe start with the, the biggest bummer of this episode, which is the fact that it is Michael B. Jordan's 
final episode of Parenthood ever. Michael B. Jordan, don't leave us. Your career's going nowhere, man. You shouldn't go. You've got nothing to leave for. <laughs> Parenthood's the highlight. That's a joke. We're being <laughs> We're being silly. <laughs> He's off to Black Panther and... Fruitvale Station, I oh believe, was his real breakout. Yeah. Just like a year after he left this show. Wow. But I thought we'd start with this little clip right at the top of the episode between him and Hattie. I just feel like you're yeah, avoiding what? my family. I'm not avoiding your family. I just... I sometimes feel isolated at those dinners, okay? Everybody's looking at me differently now. It's just, it's No it's way, weird, Alex. Okay? No one is looking at you differently. Nobody cares. Nobody's thinking about your record. I'm thinking about my record. That's the thing. It's in my head. It bothers me. I'm uncomfortable. Don't, don't you get that? It's just off for me. Okay? Can you just tell your grandparents I said thank you for the invitation? I'll see them around. Okay. I really related to his feelings of... You know, if no one's thinking about the elephant in the room, but you're thinking about it, probably not for the same reasons as Alex would, but I often feel that way. Like, it's not actually about how other people are thinking about me. It's how I'm imagining they're thinking about me and how I feel about it. It also shows us that things are different now because he used to feel very comfortable around her and her family. I mean, last season in the finale when Amber was in the hospital, you know, he brought like donuts and coffee for everyone and was, you know, feeling very comfortable. And so for whatever reason, and whether Hattie understands it or not, he just doesn't feel comfortable anymore. So as I did last time, I sort of read into this like thematically. And the theme that I saw running through this entire episode was control. The way that I, the the different characters and the roles that I saw being played were like the support person, the person who's being antagonistic, the person who is a victim. And then the person who is the master of his or her destiny. So in the Hattie and Alex um, story, I looked at Alex as being both an antagonist to Hattie, who was a victim of of this. She went out of control. But it was interesting looking at his because he started out feeling out of control. And the way that he became the master of his his own destiny was to break up with her and to say, you know, look, I'm I'm not feeling this. This is about me, as, as you said, Caleb. And when he, he does this for him, it really is about trying to grasp and, and get himself righted because it's important for us to write ourselves before we can even function around other humans and in relationships. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. And I know that when they got together, he was very dubious about the whole thing because he hadn't even been sober a year and they told him, you know, don't be in a relationship within the first year of your sobriety, but he did it anyway. And I did wonder if that played some part in it. Not that this was necessarily about his sobriety, but just in terms of the way that they are in different phases of their life. He's in a phase where he really kind of has to focus on himself. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also in his nature to take care of others. You know, he works at a food bank and he's a very generous person. And he clearly loves Hattie. But it did seem like there was an element of, I can't give you the the care that naturally I want to give you and give myself the care that I really need to ensure that I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I thought as far as television breakups go, I thought it was one of the better ones I've seen. Because I feel like that's why most couples break up, just feeling like it's not right like there's something off. I don't think it's usually for dramatic 
you know, like somebody cheats or somebody, you know, does a huge betrayal or something. I think it's, it's often more like we're just not clicking. We clicked in the beginning and we don't click now. And, you know, I loved how kind he was. And I was actually kind of upset with her, even though I understood that she just wouldn't even let him speak. Something's off. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. Something's off with, uh, with me. We have a lot going on. Do you want to talk about something? No, it's not just with me, just with us. Okay, you mean with me? No, I mean with us. And it's really hard to talk about, but I haven't felt right in a long time. And I don't want to pretend anymore. And that's why I think that we shouldn't see each other anymore. Why? Because I think that um, we're in two different places in our life right now, and it's 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 holding us back. It's a disconnect somewhere. And Alex, I, I Alex, it's, it, I'm sorry about the party. No, 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 baby. It's not about the party. It's it's something else. It's like a lot of times when we're together, it feels like I'm not even there with you. And Hattie, you deserve somebody that's going to be there for you all the way all the time and i don't know if i can be that guy for you right now yeah and i just want to bail no i just don't think i think it's best for us if we're not together okay, okay? yeah it's i got wait, it wait where are you going can you can you just i don't can know you, can do you, you want to go to the movies no right now? i don't want I'm you to leave we're not even done talking can you just I, wait I a second i don't really have anything to say well can i at least take you home Please, I insist. I don't want you walking around this neighborhood by yourself. Okay. Fine. Let's do what you want. I, I certainly get it. No one wants to just sit there and be broken up with longer. You know, mm -hmm. It makes sense to just be like, all right, I get it. Uh, I'm not going to try to change your mind. Let's just go. And I mean, I'm glad she didn't try to change his mind, but I also felt like, man, they've been together a while. You know, it's the first serious relationship she's had and probably the first time she was really in love. It just seems sad to like brush him off like that when, as far as breakups go, it was very respectful. I mean, but maybe- well, She's I, so lucky that he was willing to have a conversation, an actual conversation about it. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like she kind of didn't take advantage of that. And then at the end of the episode, when she's saying, I feel like I did something wrong, I absolutely understand why she might feel that way. I think she did. But if she had talked it over with him, I think she might have felt less mm. like she had screwed something up and more like, oh, it's just a timing thing. He has things he needs to take care of. And it really isn't me. I'm, you know, a breakup is probably never going to feel good. <laughs> but I think she might feel less blindsided by it if she had had a, a long conversation with him that he seemed totally willing to have. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's hard. And, and I think prolonging it when she felt perhaps blindsided, but just clearly not what she wanted, 
but he seemed very resolute. And I don't know, having not seen any episode bet- with the two of them, um, I don't know if he's the kind of guy who makes up his mind and it just is, but she, she, I think, knew him well enough to know that he was not playing. It wasn't something that she could just try to to turn around. And so all of a sudden her security is just, you know, the bottom has dropped out. So now she's got to start going into self-preservation mode. So I think that we were, yeah. in my opinion, we see both of them in self-preservation mode. And because he is the one who's in control in this, because he is the one initiating the conversation and, and going there, it's a little bit easier for him to be that caretaker. And also it sounds like it's in his nature, whereas she's just like, you know, she might've felt something off, but she wasn't expecting it right now. And so yeah. she's got to do everything she can to gather her security to, to get some, some semblance of control, I think. Well, and I, the one thing that made me think that he had some responsibility in flaws in the relationship was her very last line where she says, let's do what you want. I think she definitely, that was a pointed remark. And it had never aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it had never occurred to me before, but he is definitely the leader of their relationship. And that makes sense because he's four years older than she is. And he is more mature, not just from those four years, but in terms of life experience. He's dealt with a lot more. He's dealt with it with fewer resources at his disposal. So... It makes sense, but I thought she might not know how, you know, this is really her first serious relationship. She might not know how to have a greater voice in the relationship or how to share some more control. And I think he naturally falls into that. But then there's this weird kind of parental element to their relationship almost. Mm. And I think he feels responsible for her to like guide her. And I'm like, that's not a great dynamic, I don't think, for a romantic relationship. In the same way that I don't think she should ever feel responsible for, like, his sobriety. Mm-hmm. She can be supportive of it, but which she, you know, has had a real lapse in recently, but... Well, and speaking of that, you know, he said, when she was like, I'm sorry about the party, and he said, it's not about that. I believed him. I believe that he doesn't think it's about the party, but I also think that that was a turning point. Yeah. I think she really let him down. It's not that she shouldn't be able to drink, although I guess technically it's a weird thing to say since she's underage, but you know, it's it's not like she should live her entire life thinking I I have to be careful of of him, but just again, knowing he was going to be picking her up from that party and not just having a drink, but being so drunk she couldn't stand. That was a choice she made, and I think when he arrived at that party and was put in that position, and she put him there. I, I don't know. I, I think that maybe he went from thinking we're together, we're on the same side of things, to thinking, I don't know that we are. Yeah. And I think that might have been like the first major crack. And then she just couldn't understand when he was going through all that legal stuff and he was like genuinely scared he was going to go to prison. Her life wasn't different. She's still in AP classes and living in her nice house and having stability and security in her life. And I think that he maybe didn't think of them as being so completely different until then. And and I think that... So I, I don't think it's just because of the party. I don't think it's as simple as cause and effect. But I do think that started them down that road. Yeah. All throughout season three, I've been quoting from this article on Huffington Post by Stacia L. Brown called The Problem with the Alex Arc on Parenthood. And I've been going... She, she details kind of every episode of his this season. 
and she had a lot to say about this episode. So here's just a paragraph from that about the breakup. As is obligatory for these storylines, Alex keeps telling her she will never understand his life because she's from the right side of the tracks. She insists she can try to understand, but Alex would rather not take his chances. After Hattie's dad talks the party host's parents into dropping charges, Alex breaks up with Hattie. She flatly asks, why? And you've got to love that why. Here he is, trying to break it to her gently that he can no longer be involved with someone who doesn't understand his sobriety, his very adult obligations, and his utter aloneness in the world. And she's responding like he just told her he's bored. If only she hadn't stormed upstairs after pouting in Alex's car as he drove her home post-breakup, ignoring his last plea to finish talking, she would have seen what a real breakup between people who truly love each other looks like. Damn. Yes. And I think she's right on. Yeah. She articulated it so much better than, than I did, but that's exactly what I was thinking. I was, I was like, you're just, it's so disrespectful. The way she like, yeah, ran upstairs. I know that it's painful and hard. And I love what Jana said about self-preservation mode. I don't even feel like I judge her. I get it, but it's really disappointing. Yeah. And it does prove that they're in very different stages in their lives. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, like, it's just so forgivable. It, me at 18, oh my goodness. I mean, Melissa, you you knew me. But <laughs> I, I was did. an idiot and I'm still an idiot, but <laughs> I'm not my memory of you. But... 20, because you were an idiot too. <laughs> because we were children. Our brains yeah. weren't even fully formed. And and I do I didn't realize that there was a four-year difference between the two of them, but that does explain a whole lot. Life experience, but also brain development. Just I would assume if she were a real person, in four years from now, she'll be able to look back and be like, you know what? I should have done differently. And yeah. It's, yeah. So, so it's good. It's just part of our natural growing up, being actually in love and breaking up, regardless of if you're on the, the breaking up end or the broken up with, and you know, you, you learn and you change and you grow from these things. But yeah, I do think that her reaction was totally believable. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down her reaction was pretty immature and therefore accurate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because yes. that's, she's only Maybe. 17, you know, that's what it would be. I admired Christina mm. for not going into her room, mm-hmm. which I feel like is really not the Christina we've seen almost ever, <laughs> you know, yeah. respecting Hattie's space. If she's concerned about the kid, she hovers, she smothers, she's totally present. And it was really clear Hattie was not ready for that. And so I thought that was good. Instead, she stuck around and had this absolutely devastating oh. exchange with Alex. I remembered this. I just, I just wanted to say um, I'm sorry for for bringing you guys in my mess. Just... Um, I really, oh my gosh, I really honey, regret that. Don't Ms. Braveman, I do. even worry about it. I know when me and Hattie first started dating, I, I wasn't exactly what you guys expected. I, I know. Oh, and, no. I mean, we've uh, gotten past all that stuff. We're, you know, you're like our family, so. I know you probably already know this, but you're a really good mom. I lost mine a long time ago, and I just, I feel really lucky to have gotten to know you. It's brave, man. You know, you're a good kid. You've been through a lot. And we love you, so it's okay. 
Um, I love you guys too. Listen, um, can you just tell your husband I said thank you for everything? Tell Max, I said, uh, keep working on his jump shot, okay? Like, I would have cried just listening to it again. But Christina, what she she did, and in her role in, in this, you know, back to my thing about control and that we see the different roles, you know, her job as a support person, it must have been really, really hard not to go into that room, but also to see, you know, knowing what her child is going through and being able to empathize with that and, and I think that probably helped her to stay out and just to be like, this person has to go through this. I can't help. And I think that's a really, really hard position to be in as a parent, knowing what was going on, what the person is feeling, and just being like, you know, there are some things that I can do to support, but I can't fix this and I can't do anything to change it. And um, such a hard position to be in as a parent when you just want to take all those feelings and you just want to hold it on um, inside yourself so that the person doesn't have to go through it, but also recognizing it's also just a part of growing up. How hard too to learn of your daughter's breakup this way until he started basically crying and saying, you know, tell your husband, thank you for everything. And she could have just thought maybe this was a fight, you know, like maybe they'll be okay. You know, I think that's what she was thinking when she was first like, you're our family and we love you. And then it became very obvious and oh man. And you know, Something else I really admire about Christina in this episode is that she doesn't try to change his mind or say, wait, don't do this. What are you, because that is so something she would have done in the past. Or be mean to him. Like it hadn't occurred to me until you were just talking, Jana, that I feel like Christina's MO from the past is she'll be nice to everyone until you mess with her family. And then the enemy of her enemy is her friend. I don't, I'm not using that quite right, but you know what I mean? Like she'll turn on anyone. Yeah. But she couldn't turn on him because as she said, he's family. And the fact that she was actually seeing him as a person. She has turned on family. Yeah. And appreciating (laughs) the fact that he's clearly just lost something too. I, I was really impressed that she did that. And it made me think that her growth towards him really was genuine, that she actually does love him. Because, Jana, last time we had you on for that episode, Solace, the episode after that, the whole Hattie, Steve, Amber thing exploded. And Christina was so mean to both Amber, but also Amber's mom, Sarah, and basically called Amber a bitch and a A whore, whore. a teenage girl and her niece. And I think it was just fight or flight. She was just reactive. Yeah, she was so angry. You heard Hattie, I'll... You're nothing to me. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't do that with Alex. And I I think it helps that Alex didn't cheat or wrong Hattie. He just fell out of love with her, I guess, or or just... Just wasn't right. And so I I really, I do admire Christina for that. And I hadn't really even thought of that because that's not really in her character to be so gracious. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad she was because he deserves that. He never, ever treated Hattie badly, even in this breakup, you Mm -hmm. know? And I mean, Mm -hmm. what's the alternative He's supposed to stay with her forever. You know, I mean, if people break up, it's very rare that you don't. You know, your whole life, you're going to, anytime you date someone, you're probably going to break up, you know, and that's, right. it's, yeah. And and I think that's, I mean, that's just kind of part of it. That That's what we expect. You don't expect that a cousin or anybody is going to swoop in and sleep with 
your boyfriend or your child's partner, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's a lot of difference in that too. It's understandable. Most relationships don't work. Whereas people sleeping with other people, that's a choice. Yeah. Here's the next section of that same article. When Alex pulls his eyes away from Hattie's retreating back, he finally meets her mother's eyes. Immediately, he begins to choke up, and as he thanks her yet again for her support during his legal ordeal and apologizes for everything, Mrs. Braverman accurately reads that she won't be seeing him again. She tells him that she loves him and he's like family, which makes his tears run in earnest. The way he hugs her, tightly, finally, sadly, drives home the true difference between him and Hattie Braverman. Hattie's just losing a boyfriend she never truly understood. Alex is losing the family he never had. It's devastating. But just as sad is the conversation Hattie has with her mother at the end of the episode. We broke up. I'm sorry. I just, I don't understand why if he loves me, he doesn't want to be with me. I don't know. I'm... I feel like I did something wrong. No, you didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault. Okay, this is about him. Listen, sometimes people, it's, it just happens, it's okay. It's okay, babe, it's okay. This is the rest of the article. This is the moment when we realize that though Alex is like family to the Bravermans, he will never be family. The chasm they'd have to cross to understand how precarious his successes are and how easily they can be stripped from him is one of which they aren't even aware. The most loving thing Alex could do for Hattie was to leave her. It's also the most loving thing he could do for himself. Damn. Yeah, as much as I loved that scene between Christina and Alex, there were some moments I found really interesting. Like, I, I hated that he apologized for bringing them into his mess. Like, the fact that he said, my mess, I'm like, you just mean your life, I think. Unless he meant the arrest specifically, but I'm like, that's Hattie's fault. <laughs> and, yeah, th that article, again, it just says it so well. I, I just, they don't fully get him, and they can't, probably. It's, so it's not a fault of theirs, but... Yeah, even though I think Hattie is so culpable for what happened at the party... When Christina says you didn't do anything wrong, I think mostly she's right. That it's not like Hattie, you know, dropped the ball. It's just, it's not right. And it's not right right now. Mm -hmm. Like these are people, like you said, when Hattie is 21, I could imagine they could reconnect and find themselves in a very different place where it's much easier for them to connect. But right now, it just isn't. And I, I think I think Melissa was onto something by pointing out, you know, when he says my mess, and I think he was kind of talking about my life, just my existence. And I, I think a lot of us are hard on ourselves in that way. But for me, that just goes back to he is doing what he needs to do. You know, he's in a tailspin and he is trying to right himself and he's got to do that. He's taking control. Yeah. I again, though, I often think Christina actually isn't that great of a parent. But I, th I loved how she handled Hattie's distress and sadness. Like I said, I liked that she gave her space. And then when she did finally come in, and Hattie clearly was ready because Hattie immediately started talking. And I liked that Christina was honest that she said, I don't know. 
why this happened, but it's okay. And she just offered comfort. And I thought that's what Hattie needs right now. And it's all you can do. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm sure it would feel, you'd feel helpless in a way as a parent. Like, how can I stop this? Mm-hmm. You can't, but at least you can go through it with them. Mm-hmm. No parent is perfect. And so even if you do make missteps, you know, sometimes you get it right. It's just it's a crap shoot. <laughs> Your best. Yeah. I mean, once again, since it's the last episode of Michael B. Jordan, how incredible was he? Like Ugh. just the way that that, that crying. Oh yeah. my God. That's one of the best crying scenes I think I've ever seen. Like, yeah. like second only to Mae Whitman. In anything she cries, anything. (laughs) Although hers is always so loud, I feel like his was so quiet, quiet. just different, and and it makes sense because I mean I think Alex would feel like it's not cool to be weeping in front of people. What messages has have he has he gotten? But he can't help it in this moment, and it was just so touching, and and that was his last scene. Oh, and just saying that breaks my heart. I'm like, I love him. So he tells Max uh, to work on his gym shot and he shuts the door never to be seen again. Uh, except on the cover of People magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. Well, yeah. But, but on Paris. Alex. Yeah. Although <laughs> Melissa and I have talked, I think only off mic about this. Alex doesn't have a last name. Yeah. It, it is a little crazy. He, he's in... Maybe the most episodes of any guest star. That's probably not true. Some people in later seasons. But I think he's in 16 episodes. I mean, that's more than some seasons of Parenthood. And his character never got a surname. <laughs> Gosh. It yeah. feels a little... Steve got a last name. That's true. Amy, Amy has a last name. Yeah. You're totally right. It's... I, I don't know. It, we'll miss you, Alex, last name. <laughs> <laughs> it does make you think, though, like... I think that Parenthood was a really well-meaning show and might have even been progressive for the time, you know? And it just, it makes you realize how we're progressing all the time. The fact that watching the show now, 10 years after it aired, and there are things that pop up that we've talked about that I'm like, oh gosh, I don't say those things to be critical, although maybe it comes off that way. I just, once you see them, you can't unsee them. And I think it's maybe good to be aware of that, even in things we love. I mean, I love this show, but that doesn't mean I want to consider it perfect or not hold it accountable in certain ways. And of course, we've got just different standards all the time because I think we're evolving and, and growing. And I think if you have a significant character who's black on your show, give him a last name. It makes me wonder, like, was he just a symbol in their minds of something? Or was he just an event to happen to the Bravermans rather than a whole person unto himself. That's a reading a lot into not having a last name, but why doesn't he have a last name? It just seems like that would be a pretty fundamental thing. I mean, if they had gone to court and they said, all rise in the matter of the state versus Alex, they we'd have to give them a last yeah. name that never came up. It's a good point. I don't know. Well, Jana, what are your thoughts on your control theme as it relates to Zeke and Camille. They're kind of like the bow that I put on the episode, actually. And the reason is that I I think that the episode does an excellent job of looking at control in terms of kids who have parents, parents who have children who are minors, and then parents, grandparents, who don't have that responsibility of taking care of minors. And so with the Zeke and Camille, I thought it was really, really beautiful to see that In Zeke's case, you know, he is so excited about this thing. And I think that 
throughout. I mean, he he hit the, the roadblock with the director not just gushing over him right away. And <laughs> I think he he felt sort of put down by that, which is where I see him being out of control a little bit was that, you know, this kid is telling him what to do, <clears throat> but he's respectful and understanding that. Um, but then Camille's response, she's out of control. She sees her husband. She says, you know, this is the thing that attracted her from the, the beginning to him. This is one of the things she loves best about him is that he can see things through. And when he goes and does this, though, he always leaves her behind. Mm-hmm. And um, so then she doesn't have her partner. And I think that's the control she wants is to be part of it, to to experience that. And so what does she do to get control? She does her own thing then because she recognizes, look, I'm feeling out of control. I'm going to do something. And she can because number one, she's a grown up. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's her life with her partner. And um, when we when we talk about Adam later and um, Crosby and Jabbar's mom. Jasmine? Jasmine, yeah. With them as parents, they are sort of out of control because you can't control your children. Mm-hmm. You, you can to a degree, but they have lives happening. And so it was really- And Jasmine can't control Crosby. Oh my Lord, yeah. <laughs> Slash trust him. Right. But that's really, but that's interesting too, because that's a similarity between Camille and Zeke. Definitely. You know, you can't control that other person. And yet there's a different dynamic because they're married and, and partnered. And I gathered in here that Crosby and Jasmine are on a break. Yeah. So that's also, you can't control the parent of your child in the, the way that you can influence, I guess, your married partner, your devoted partner. So anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that they were able to focus on themselves and then come together as a unit in a way that we couldn't see the other two generations do. Um, but I think part of that is just the benefit of being able just to focus on yourselves as older, retired people who have grown children can do. Hmm, that's good. Yeah. It's something I loved about the whole storyline between Zeke and Camille is that ultimately the conflict was completely within Camille herself. It wasn't generated by Zeke. It's not Zeke's fault. And he can't really fix it either. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she acknowledged that. You know, she vented about it, but she was never blaming him. She was happy for him, I think. Mm-hmm. And what she ultimately arrived at is I got to figure out a way to deal with these feelings that I have and that's on me. And I thought that's wonderful that, because I think that is so many conflicts in real life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's at least for me, I struggle with my own reaction to things and I create stumbling blocks for myself a lot of the time. And it's how do I deal with those? Mm -hmm. So I liked, I thought it felt really human, both her envy a little bit, and then her ownership of it. And I loved that Zeke saw it in her mm-hmm. and broached the subject and then really opened the door for her to share that with him. I thought this is the best done. communicating they have done since they've had some real marital problems. I loved that he asked her opinion mm-hmm. about pursuing an acting career and it seemed like he really wanted the answer, that he valued what she would say about it. It's like, that's, that's why you have a wife for 40 whatever years, <laughs> because you trust them to have your back and give you good guidance. And you got to notice when they need something from you too, which maybe is just to listen. Right. That's really all he did. But I think it helped her. What it reminded me of, so I, I have a bunch of friends who are also poets and I'd say pretty much all of them are more impressive than me. <laughs> they um, have PhDs and MFAs 
and their professors. And, uh, you know, some of them have been like in the New Yorker and like really prestigious publications. And that is not me knocking what I've accomplished. I'm, I'm proud of my accomplishments and, and I really like my path. But one of my friends made a comment that has always stuck with me. She said, you know, when I watch other people in this group succeed, it reminds me of a different kind of envy. Like we think of like jealousy as just being a negative emotion and it can be easily if you resent the other person or if you tear them down instead of being supportive. But what if you're a very supportive friend who's really proud of what everyone's accomplished, but somehow that little spark of envy can like spur you on, like make you want to rise to the occasion and accomplish more or try harder. Like, look, they're doing it. I can do that. And maybe that's not envy. Maybe we need a different word for that. Inspiration. Inspiration. Maybe that's, that's what Camille it. Camille says at the end, you inspired me. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's what Camille works through in this episode. And I think first you have to be honest with yourself and, and with others. And she's great at that in this episode. She doesn't pretend like what she's feeling isn't what she's feeling. Right. You know, she talks to Sarah about it. She talks to Zeke about it. And so she's able then, I think, to process that and work through it and be like, I need something like this. I think that's healthy. You know, it, it may not have seemed healthy, but I loved this storyline. Yeah. I thought it was great. Really interesting. It was neat. And, and it makes me, and as you're talking about, it makes me think about attachment theory. People can be securely attached, insecurely or avoidantly attached. Mm. And even looking at all the relationships, because it's that's what relationships are, right? Like magnets, we attach to different varying degrees. And it's a very secure attachment that, that you see here because it's not that he's going off and doing amazing, wonderful things. And she's just like, oh my gosh, I have to glom onto you. It's, it's not, it's, oh my gosh, that makes me recognize that I, I'm needing something in my life. What should I do to fill this void that I'm feeling? Yeah. yeah. She tells Sarah that she's not jealous. And when I was first watching this, I thought, Yes, you are. That's exactly what you're describing. But also just listening to you, Melissa, say what you said, that it's a different kind of envy. You know, she's it's not like Camille wishes she were in a commercial. Right. So she's not jealous of what Zeke is doing. And I like when she said she admired a trait about him and she hoped some of it would rub off on her. And I thought that's a different kind of jealousy, too, of like, there's something that comes easily or naturally to you that I think is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that it doesn't come as easily or naturally to me. And maybe by being with you, I'll get some of it. It made me want to ask both of you if there are traits in your partner that you envy, that you wish you had, or in anyone in general, but especially husbands. I love your question. And before I, I answer it, um, I have heard that the thing that you first love, that you most love at first in a relationship with your partner is the thing that 40 years down the road is the thing you're going to hate about them. <laughs> and then that has been really true in my case, like in relationships that I've had, not that I've been with anyone for 40 years besides my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, my Caleb is very, very charming and um, can't, doesn't know a stranger. And it's something that uh, I've, I mean, when he left my house because he was a salesman who came to my house and that's how we, that was our meet cute. Um, and as that's a very leaving, charming salesman. <laughs> yes. <very. laughs> and um, as he was leaving, I was like, 
are you this charming to everyone? And he seemed surprised at my forwardness because um, I was hitting <laughs> on the salesman. And, um, but I, I genuinely meant it. And now um, we've been together for three years. I find sometimes like that charm, that outgoingness is a little bit off-putting sometimes. <laughs> 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 don't worry it's just us together just no one will hear this <laughs> <laughs> that's a similar trait it's not my husband clearly but a f- when I wrote this question down to ask you guys I th- immediately thought of a friend of mine Stephen who's also a musician conductor pianist and he's the same way he can talk to anybody and it's not fake you know that's who mm-hmm. he is and any kind of personality he can strike up a rapport instantly and I am not that way. And he succeeds in our field Mm. at things that take me longer to do because I get along with people, but I I don't charm them immediately. And it just comes easily to him. I just think the two of you are like two of the most charming people I know, but I know what you mean. I have met Caleb, you know, several times, so I know what you're talking about. When I first met you, Caleb, I was charmed. I'm just going to (laughs) say. Well, that's nice. You were on the piano and I was absolutely charmed. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) What about yours? Tell us about Mark, Melissa. I think Mark and I have quite a bit in common. Like, I think we're both funny and we're both good at like connecting with people. But I think the thing that Mark is really good at that I admire is he's really good at standing up for himself. He doesn't make excuses. He just says no when he doesn't want to do something. And and he, I mean, he's just so good at that. Sometimes he'll hear me talk to somebody like, you know, especially in the age of Zoom meetings and stuff. And he's like, oh, he's like, Melissa, it broke my heart. You just kept apologizing. You've got to cut that shit out. You know, he's like, he's like, just it's, it's fine. You don't owe them that. You don't owe them anything. And, um, and I will say, I mean, I've been with Mark like almost 18 years. And in that time, I think I have gotten a lot better at standing up for myself. And I think Mark would say that I have softened him a lot, <laughs> that he used to be so good at it that he might piss people off or he <laughs> might, he might like be like to hell with them. I don't care. what this. And so now he like has a softer touch about it. So I think we've and so that's interesting because Camille had hoped Zeke would rub off on her. I think Mark and I have. Like, I, th- I think I'm more assertive and I think he's more, like, maybe gentler, which is nice. And ultimately what this storyline is about, I think, is Zeke rubbing off on her. Yeah. Because she's at least realizing it. Maybe if she were with some other milk toast meat mm. guy who didn't go after anything, she never would have learned it. Or, you know, maybe she would have learned it sooner. Maybe she would have realized one of us has to pursue something. And potentially she, although he, we don't get it from his perspective, he doesn't ever say it, but potentially she's rubbed off on him because she is very, very thoughtful. And, and you know, she considers other people a, a lot. And in here there he is considering her feelings. And that's not something when I've, I've just seen the first season, but that wasn't really a trait that I could have described from him as a lot of thoughtfulness. And But right there, he showed it. You know, he was about her and that's maybe the converse. I yeah. totally agree. And maybe something that you didn't know about them is after the episode you saw, they went to counseling. And I think it helped. You know, I, I obviously it's not it a magic counseling. <laughs> yes. It's not a magic wand or anything, but... I, th- I think we've seen a lot of growth since they started doing that together. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. 
And I have some thoughts about the actual um, nature of the commercial that he did and everyone's reaction to it. So on the one hand, I get it that everyone like laughs and, and has a good time with this. And I don't even necessarily find that super offensive. But I do think that erectile dysfunction is something to normalize, if that makes sense, because I don't know. I kind of went down like this weird rabbit hole watching this episode. Something wasn't sitting right with me with how they were talking about this and everything. And I thought, boy, there are so many expectations for men that they can never cry. You know, we saw Alex cry earlier and like, you know, wiping his face and that they have to be like tough and strong and angry. And there are also expectations of virility. And that's something that Zeke has talked about in this episode, or not this episode, but in this series. He's talked about it with Drew. You know, you're a braver man. You know, our libido is incredible, et cetera. You know, it's like so creepy and weird. And I just thought the way we laugh at something like erectile dysfunction. I mean, imagine if Zeke really did need those pills. Which, by the way, we know he doesn't. We know he doesn't because they threw it. Well, And even then, that's depicted as like, you don't need this because you're a real man. You're a real man. Whereas, you know, lots of real men would love to be able to get an erection whenever they feel desire and can't. And it's, yeah, you got to detach that from masculinity. You do, it's especially at his condition. age. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm like, there's a good chance he would need something like that. And like, if you can't be open and talk about it, just like if you can't be open and talk about like your feelings, like Zeke wasn't forever or counseling or mental health or any of those things. Or that sex. like. Right. I mean, like, what if he did have an issue and couldn't talk to Camille about it because he was embarrassed? She would probably take that personally then or think, oh, no, he's cheating on me again. You know, there's a there's got to be an explanation for this. It just the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this is troubling. The fact that everyone's laughing at this, it's a real issue. And it's something that could like cause intimacy problems. And I don't know. That's a good point. It's just something that bothered me. They did a lot of ageist things around the, the dinner table when they found out he was doing a commercial, the yeah, Metamucil and Life and all alert. of that adult yeah. diapers, yeah. Which and it was hilarious, by the way. Um, but sorry, <laughs> it was funny. I believe Metamucil was Erica Christensen's only line in this episode. That's true. She was barely in it. Metamucil. Thanks, Erica. <laughs> I'm Done still getting day. paid for That's this episode, right? <laughs> I, I did take note that this commercial for Zeke is pretty much the only follow-up we've gotten about Sarah's play from last season That's true. so far. Mark does mention it at the car window with oh, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Did you, you know, get to the third act? So they're not entirely abandoning the storyline, no. it seems like, but they haven't mentioned it really much yet. She had a writing class yeah. in one episode she just referred to. Yeah. We didn't see her at the class or hear what she was writing, but... Before we move away from this episode or this uh, story, I did want to say one more thing, which was I thought it was way cool that Zeke was not at all embarrassed about the nature of the commercial. I thought that was incredibly, um, what's the word? I don't know. Um, Mature? (laughs) Mature. No more old people jokes. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even. (laughs) No, it was just... um, Confident, you know, and, and secure. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not above it. No. no. I I just loved that. And I also loved Camille's face when everyone was making the old people jokes. Like, I, I thought it was cool that it wasn't even, like, a, a worth being its own storyline where she was, like, openly offended. But I like that she had a little face that was like, come on, 
this is insulting, yeah. like to both your father and, and me. when Sarah mm-hmm. noticed Camille was uncomfortable, that she thought, oh, it's because it's erectile dysfunction, or it's because he's gonna kiss another woman. And again, like we've noticed before, some of Parenthood's best moments are when they take what could be an unoriginal storyline and put a new spin on it. Having her be jealous that he's going to kiss another woman would be a very predictable conflict. And I think having her be jealous that he's, even at his age, trying new things and going after things, so much more interesting. I don't care if she's jealous that he kisses a 28-year-old. And I like that she was like, I'm, it's annoying. But, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, no, I'm not jealous. I thought that and was... And that I, thought, I believed her on. 100%. I believed it too. I just want to give a shout out to all the actual ED commercials that don't have the dude kissing a 28-year-old. They always yeah. have like an attractive but appropriate aged human to be his partner. <laughs> Why did like, she have to be 28? That didn't right. make any sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Hey, old dudes who need erectile dysfunction drugs can also be with a woman their own age who is lovely to them. Yeah. I mean, Camille is beautiful and hot. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, so weird that they had that scene where she was like, you don't need that. I don't know. And she didn't look 28. She she did look 35. I thought so, too. (laughs) Well, and, you know, again, I bet you anything 10 years ago when I watched this episode I probably laughed along with those jokes and it's hard to say why things hit me differently, but I think I'm more thoughtful just in general. And I'm also really, really, uh, I'm having trouble thinking of words today, but toxic masculinity is something that really concerns me, I guess. And uh, one of my students just wrote this really beautiful essay about how during the pandemic, he stopped playing football and it made him re-examine all kinds of things like how he thought about mental health and masculinity and just so many things. And maybe I had that essay in my mind when I was watching this episode, but I just kept thinking, this isn't healthy the way they're talking about this. And I get that nobody actually had ED in the episode and maybe that's why it was all a big joke, but I thought some people do though. And, and it's just shit like this that like, you know, makes people not able to talk. Yeah. We just have, we have to normalize men being able to talk about things and being able to like be vulnerable and not, just, ugh, I don't know. <laughs> so let's shift to Drew's budding romance with Amy. They go on their first date in this episode. It does not go well. You guys went on a date, essentially. I can't believe is what you're happened. actually mad at me about this. I mean, are you crazy? Well, okay, What's wrong first with you? you bring up that I like millionaire matchmaker. Oh, that's, that's embarrassing. What this is about? No, it's, it's everything. A good show, but that just heightened it. Look, she was sitting back there. She wasn't saying anything. You, you invited her to the front seat. I didn't invite her. She just came up Either on her way, own. Either way, you were insinuating oh she should God, come up here. Oh my God, I drove you to your date. How about a Wait, little I'm gratitude? Supposed to, if I could drive, I would have. I'm sorry. You're welcome for the ride. You guys. She wouldn't quit talking the entire day. Excuse it was all about me, her. I'm sorry, you know, that you were sitting there being Rain Man. I'm sorry. I mean, I wasn't saying don't don't say take Rain you to Man. Take you to Rain Man. Good night, Patty Stinger. Well, have a nice evening. You're welcome for the ride. God's sakes. Tell me what happened. It was terrible. No. Terrible, terrible, terrible. No, I wanted him to have a good time. literally didn't say one word to her. He's so shy. He's got to take a class or get some help or something. Is he going to be okay? I'm not sure. I adored, <laughs> adored the, like, the way it flips from yeah. <laughs> Amber yes. and Drew yelling at each other to then Sarah. <laughs> yeah, so cute. 
I okay. It occurred to me as I was taking notes that I love this episode because I kept just continually writing. I love this storyline. I love this storyline. <laughs> I thought this was a great storyline mm-hmm. about like a, a new, brand new relationship. I thought this was such a believable conflict, and it was so much lighter than the others, so it felt a little more like breath of fresh air. Yeah, I loved the element of you know there was so much debate around Sarah dating Mark when Amber was his student, or was just a student at the high school. And Drew is still in school, and Mm -hmm. there's been, like, no debate around it. And I know part of it is because Sarah was aware that Amber had a crush on the teacher that Sarah's going to date. That is an extra wrinkle, which doesn't appear to apply in Drew's case. But I thought this was a nice way to incorporate it, like, hey, don't think that you're just free and clear because Drew is a boy and he's not in love with the teacher, you do still have to be aware. And like, and they didn't even realize it because when he says there's a picture of you kissing, their reaction was, that's impossible. And they clearly had just forgotten because then when he describes it, then they knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, so it wasn't malicious at all. Mm-hmm. You And I even, when I watched it the second time, I noticed that when Mark goes in for a kiss, he looks around. Mm-hmm. So he's aware a little bit of like who's watching, but you just, you can't have eyes everywhere at once. Well, if he were a good teacher, Melissa backed me up with itness, am I right? He would not have How do that. you organize your makeup sessions with <laughs> students' parents? I will I will say that if like it's it's rare that Mark and I are both in the parking lot at one of our jobs. But I have noticed that if one of us, like for whatever reason, drops the other one off, if we do kiss goodbye, it is like a peck. It is Very like chaste. okay, but yes, like like that girl would and not have had married. time to get her uh, camera mm-hmm. out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And we're, and we're married and yeah, neither one is like the parent of a, of a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a whole thing. I mean, when I watched it the second time, I'm like, they are kind of making out. I mean, it yep. was, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was more than church tongue, you know, it was. Yes. <laughs> so. Porno tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Maybe somewhere between. <laughs> I was just wondering, like, where was the teacher on duty out front who's, like, judging them? Because oh. that's also a thing. That didn't yeah. Happen. Yeah. That's a good point. I love when, when the, it's revealed to Drew later on. We were meant to feel bad for him, I think. And I did feel bad for him. Poor guy. But also, I found his little rant about his <laughs> own family so funny. Scandalous, right? Yeah, man. It's hilarious. It's so funny. What's your problem? That's my mom. In the picture, that's my mom. It is? Well, yes, what is she? Oh my god, it's my whole family. Everyone is so unstable, I can't believe it. I mean, she went from my dad, who's like, was a drug addict, and now she's dating some high school English teacher, and then my aunt, she's trying to buy a baby right now, literally, trying to buy people's babies. Then you have my grandfather, who's doing erectile dysfunction commercials. I mean, you know what, no wonder our date went so bad. I mean, let's be honest. It, wasn't good at all. And my sister, my sister wasn't even supposed to be there. You know, I'm the one that asked you out. God, I'm the one that liked you. Oh, teen angst. Yeah, and it just makes me think, Miles Heiser, he hasn't gotten a lot to do really before this season. I mean, he had some substantive stuff with Seth and whatnot, but we're actually spending some screen time with him now. And I feel like he is such a good argument for casting actual teenagers to play Mm -hmm. teenagers because he sounds like such a believable teenager to me. And he is. He's not playing 
I think he's like a year or two older than he's playing, but he's not, you know, in his mid twenties at Which all. Which is funny because then he goes on to play teenagers for another the next decade. 10 years, yeah, yeah, like he's in Love Simon and Thirteen Reasons Why. Well, clearly he had something. He's yeah. got a method, yeah. and that's good. But no, I loved that rant, and I loved the rant when he was confronting Sarah and Mark about about making out. It was the perfect tone the perfect note I don't I don't know yeah it was it, it you're right you were both like feeling bad for him but also cracking up and <laughs> and that happens a lot so, like sometimes my students if it's not something devastating I mean obviously I'm not like grinning secretly when they're <laughs> telling me something truly awful but when they're talking about like things like that and they're like my world is over you know <laughs> I'm like, it's one of my favorite things about teenagers it's like everything is a huge deal all the time and it's never boring to talk to them. And, you know, it's, it's just sort of, um, fun in a way, like how they feel everything deeply. Like I, I know that sometimes they'll ask me like, are you into this band? Cause it changed my life. And I'm like, I like their songs. I don't think any music changes my life anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I just don't but it used to. Yeah. It used to everything did. I saw a movie and I'm like, I feel different now. It like, you know, I, I just, nothing is to that level of intensity anymore. And I think that's probably good because it's exhausting, <laughs> but it's something I really like about teenagers and he just nails that. And it's, it's just so true of where they are in life though, because their brains are telling them like, you're not a kid anymore. You are a grown up. You are ready for this. Jump out and, and leap. And yet they lack <laughs> all the experience. They are not fully formed, but man, everything in their body is screaming. You're, you're out on your own. But then I love with Drew that he has so many barriers. He doesn't have a car. So he has to get his big sister to, to chauffeur him around. And he doesn't have a lot of experience with girls. And so, you know, he's just like, okay, I'm going to go on a date, but I don't even, I'm not going to talk because I'm really uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't even fake it. And then he can't control his, his mom's relationship. It's just affecting him. And so Everything is just like happening to him. And yet his body is screaming, you're a man. Yeah, You, know, you, you should be able to do all these things. And it's really conflicting. And I, I agree the way that he delivered that wasn't whiny. It was just so angsty. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and in a weird way, he kind of has a similar conflict as Camille in that it's, it's just something within him that he's got to figure out how to deal with. Because one thing I loved about the storyline his whole interaction with Amy thus far, it's been challenging, but she has seemed totally on board mm-hmm. at every step. You know, he walked up to her at the yard sale and she was happy to have a conversation. And even when he you know, set her dog loose, she was still fine, didn't bother her. And even once he felt embarrassed by Sarah's kiss, Amy was cool with it. She still came back. So it's just like, Drew, you, you've you got her, I think. Like, I, she's into you. So if you can put aside how awkward you feel and how everything is such a big deal, yeah, I think you can sort of enjoy yourself. You're good. She likes you. In fact, the thing that really got me is it seemed to me that Amy isn't like, a super gossipy person. Like it didn't really seem to me that she was showing him that picture to be like, Ooh, and even when she says scandalous, right? I think she was trying to find a way to bond with him because he is so shy. So like she saw he was heading over and she's like, Oh, here's something to talk Let's to him about. You. Let's include mm-hmm. you. And then you just saw it all over her face when he was like, that's my mom. She was like, 
it is. Like, you could tell she was like, shit, that backfired, you know? So, I mean, I think it's sweet. She's really trying, too. And what an interesting storyline that the girl kind of has to take, like, the lead a little bit because she is less shy than the boy. I feel like we haven't seen that a lot in shows. I thought that was kind of, that was kind of cool. Like, like the role reversal of her throwing pebbles That's at his window. That's a great window. point. And then yeah. when she came in at the end, it's so sweet of her because I, I think the implication is she understands that. Yeah. Like, I'll make him feel better if I make a little bit of a move first and he's so excited to go for the walk with her that he like crashes everything in his room i thought that was a sweet little detail that he's just he's so smitten yeah i had a thought about my theme that he i I was going to say is he the only one who like the other person actually comes in and writes him everyone else has to either do it for themselves um, and they achieve it or they do not Mm -hmm. but with him at the end you have that resolution and he's kind of gotten some balance, a semblance of control. But really all it was, was that person came in where he was like, I I can't control this and I'm losing her. I'm losing her. And it was all imagined because she, you know, to your point, she was all in all the way through with him. um, And he just needed that reassurance. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if the other kids got that also had, he definitely not. And with Max and Jabbar, I'm trying to think, but we haven't gone to them yet. Well, shall we go to them? I mean, let's shall. Yeah. (laughs) Shall away. (laughs) Well, the first clip I had is when Jasmine asks Crosby to talk about this with Adam. Oh, my God. I wanted to discuss the conversation that Crosby attempts to have with Adam. I guess Max and Jabbar have been eating lunch together, like, pretty much every day. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know about that. As a matter of fact, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. Oh, yeah, uh, and good. you know, just before I get to the point, I want you to know what a nerve-wracking decision it was for Christine and I to mainstream Max again. And, you know, Jabbar has been a godsend because the fact that those two kids have bonded, the two cousins have bonded like that, eating lunch together every day, give Max such a sense of security during this unstructured, precarious time for him has been, like I said, it's just been a godsend. And, you know, forget about all that. Max calls Jabbar his best friend. Really? Yeah. Best friend. Yeah. How about that? Your boy and my boy. So, thank you. The first note I took on that scene was, did someone write Adam's lines with a thesaurus? <laughs> During this unstructured, precarious time, the two cousins have bonded. <laughs> <laughs> what? I get that the point of the scene is that Adam is supposed to be kind of laying it on thick because he and, and doesn't know that Crosby's about to ask him to undo that exact thing. Dramatic but, irony. Oh. Yeah, but I was like, oh, gosh. He, but his vocabulary... I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, that being said, is there really any more to this whole story's conflict than Crosby just working up the courage to have an awkward conversation with his brother? I feel like that's the only thing that stood in the way of this being handled better. I, I think there are two interesting storylines here because you've, well, I guess it's kind of like three, just the way it works is you've got the relationship between Adam and Crosby, you have the relationship between Max and Jabbar, and then you have the father son you know go-to person dynamic and and i think jasmine and crosby also that too yeah so there's so so much and so i think it is more complicated than that because it really is tenuous like every relationship is sort of stretched um or could be stretched if we throw a wrench in it like with max and and adam max could just you know there could be a problem there and so i think your your question is really about like the crosby and adam dynamic of this and both of them have been placed in an impossible situation because as a, as a parent, your job is to support your kid, is to guide your child, is to keep your child safe. And 
if both of them are going to do their parent parental jobs, then they're also going to screw up something between the two of them, between their brother relationship. And so that sucks. I guess that's why I ignore the Jasmine part because Jasmine just like, no, do the right thing. But it's the dynamic between Crosby and Adam that is then put at, at risk. I think you're totally right because what Jasmine isn't hearing is Adam's point of view. She's just hearing Jabbar's and Jabbar is right. I mean, like, I felt so bad for him just like quizzing Max on his times tables. I'm like, what a miserable lunch experience. You should get to, especially when little Jensen's like, you guys could both come sit with us. Uh, You know, like it, it was weird how it then became sort of an all or nothing thing. And that's on Max. I mean, Max could have still... I think the only reason Jabbar's like, I don't want to eat with Max is because Max made it seem like it had to be just them just at this table. You know, Max isn't good at compromise. Changing his routine. Right. Of course. Of course he's not. Well, I brought up Jasmine because it made me understand some of her issues with Crosby better than I had. Her son came to her with a problem and it involved the Bravermans. And so she asked Crosby to handle it mm-hmm. in a very specific way. Talk to your brother about it. And Crosby said, I will. And then he just didn't do it. And if he had, I felt like she was kind of right when they were, you know, storming away and the two brothers were screaming on a children's playground. What? Yeah. I did write down, I'm like, what? the anger issues. And why were they even allowed on the playground? They gotta <laughs> examine that. But anyway, and she said, if you'd just done what I asked, you know, this wouldn't have happened. I think she was kind of right. Like, yeah. And I appreciate that there were more complexities to it. But I thought it would be so frustrating for her to show up to this conflict and have no idea that it hadn't been handled. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, oh, that's what Crosby is doing all the time. And she, she must just feel like I, it's a crapshoot whether I can actually rely on him. Mm-hmm. Can he pick Jabara up from school or will he be drunk that day? Like in season two, yeah. can he handle this conflict that I'm kind of handing to him on a platter to take care of? Or will he promise to do it and then not do it? That would get really annoying. That's such a good point. I think it's an excellent point. And between the two of them, you know, here she is saying, I, I've evaluated the situation. I know what is best for my son. And I also know that because this is a Braverman thing, that this is the best scenario in which to take care of it. If I step in and, and handle it, I'm not going to be to do as good of a job. It is best if you do it. Here's you know silver platter. You you do yeah. the thing. And um, I think that just speaks to what a lot of moms have to deal with often because there are a lot of expectations on a mom to be the the person who handles um, and who who does it the right way. And and I, maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I am the problem solver. I'm the one who gets my child vaccinated when dad's not even thinking about it. And so here she is. She, she had a bow on it, ready to go. And Crosby just fucks it up. Yeah. yeah. When I would have said initially, early on in the episode, I was totally on Jabbar's side. I'm like, he is under no obligation to sit with Max. They should nip that in the bud. But then when Crosby talked to him, I thought he actually made some good points. Listen, I found out from your mom that Max wants to eat lunch every day with you and you don't really want to. Is that the case? Yeah. Sometimes I want to eat lunch with Jensen. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that, but sometimes you have to do things for family and they're not always fun, but you do it because family's so important. 
know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I understand that you don't want to eat with Max every day. But do you think you could do it for just a little while longer? Why? Well, because, you know, Max needs you. But why can't he eat with some of his other friends? Well, because... Max has some problems. You know? What kind of problems? Well, it's, it's difficult for him to make friends. You know how you can just go up and talk to anybody and everyone likes you? Kind of like me, right? Super likable. Popular is all get out. Well, well, you know, it's hard for Max. So... But doesn't he have friends, though? Doesn't he have friends? I've, well, I think he might be one of his only friends. That's why you need to hang in there for a little bit and help him, you know? Okay. Yeah? You'll do that? Uh-huh. And then we'll reevaluate. Okay. All right. In one sense, I don't feel like that's bad advice. If Jabard isn't aware of Max's challenges, which he didn't seem to be, then I think it is a good idea to make him aware of those and encourage him to help Max out when Max needs some help. But then on the flip side, I don't think Jabbar should feel responsible for Max's challenges. And I, I just felt like what really needs to happen is someone needs to be working with Max yeah. to feel mm -hmm. comfortable not having lunch with Jabbar every day. Like the problem here is Max's behavior. And just telling Jabbar to tolerate it isn't really addressing it. Especially when they're addressing behaviors of Max's all the time. That's what Gabby was for. And that's... It's not an unusual thing to be monitoring Max's behavior. That's a very common thing. Like, why are we avoiding this piece of the puzzle? But that's where Crosby struck out, because by yeah. not making Adam aware of what the problem was, then he couldn't... What he did is he put all of the responsibility on Jabbar. Right. It's just and a tiny little child. Right. Who, yeah. and, and what I thought was interesting was when we, they were in the, the booth and he was like, you know, what would you say about that? Or what would you do about that? I'd ask my dad and it, you know, he, he enabled this role reversal of, you know, the son, the son needs to be, be the adult, needs to yeah. make the right decision, needs to make the right choice and, and take care of everybody. And it's like, no, he's he doesn't have all the information. Number one, he is a child. Number two, so that was really really unfair. Well, and hang in there for a little bit, and we'll reevaluate. That's I think that's fine advice. If in the meantime Max is working on getting better with having lunch with other people, but if no one's informing Max hey, or Adam or Christina, this is hang an in issue. there through fifth grade. Hang in there forever yeah. is what it becomes. It's like reevaluate later when. Yeah. When they have a fight, when it blows the up. The carpet. It's fine. Yeah. Well, and I do, I mean, so I don't fault Jabbar for this, of course, because, yeah, he's like, what, six, seven? But I wish he could have somehow articulated to Jasmine or Crosby or both, this is what having lunch with him is like. Because he just really says, I don't want to eat lunch with him all the time. But I, I wish he could say exactly what bothers him, which is, it's all about Max. Now, again, he's so young, so this is not me faulting him, but I think if he could have somehow been able to explain, all Max does is talk about himself, we're not having conversations, 
it's like quiz me in math or you can come over and watch me play this game, not we can play it together. Those are things, you're right, that Gabby was working on with Max, like the give and take of a relationship. Max is not actively doing those things he'd worked on, which is like sharing and and asking the other people about who they are. And so I think that if Adam and Christina were aware of that, they'd be like, ooh, this is something yeah, I he struggled think, with. I don't think they would even be offended no. at all. Mm-hmm. I, think I don't think they so. would. I think mm-hmm. they would be like, I'm glad someone's looking out for Max, even though he's in the mainstream school, because these are the kind... I mean, this is exactly the kind of stuff Christina was worried about. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to have a cousin there who's on Max's side... Yeah. Um, yes. You know, that, it could be really good. Yeah, I, it crossed me with just a swing and a miss, I think. It, it, not even a swing. It's just, just amazing. (laughs) It just watched it go by. Yeah. (laughs) Struck out looking. Well, and, and, you know, as I really did like that scene in the booth, I thought it was super sweet, but I kind of like held my head in my hands when he was like, you know, you and me, we're super popular and likable, right? (laughs) Like, I don't, I can't even articulate what about that scene. Like, like, Ooh, that doesn't seem like the right path. Cause you know, like, I worry that though his intentions were really good, he made it kind of sound like, like, we have to do people favors. We're awesome and Max is less than. Yeah, like Max, you know, Max has problems. Not like us. We're likable and That's maybe where popular. Jabbar got, there's something wrong with you. Because I paid attention. Crosby doesn't say that. Right. And Jabbar says twice that Crosby said, I have to sit with him because there's something wrong with him. Mm-hmm. But he he got that he message. Internalized that, yeah, yeah. Even though those yeah. words weren't said, and and I mean that's so class. I mean it's perfect for for his age. I I have a six year old um, who has had he's in kindergarten right now. He's had some trouble in school just with conflicts with other kids. Where I I took him to the doctor one day because a kid like pulled back his thumb. Oh gosh. Yeah, and and I still don't have a clear picture of what happened and what role my son played. And, you know, you just can't. They just, things happen and they don't articulate them well. And, right. you know, I'm talking to the teacher and talking to the school nurse and, and talking to my son to try to piece together the picture, but he doesn't know how to express and he doesn't really understand even the dynamics that he has between him and another kid. Right. And so with Jabbar, what he was saying was, more than what I I get from my child. And yeah, I think Crosby just really botched that whole thing. And again, like the the control. Jabbar is there and he doesn't have the control and he wants it. But his his life is completely dominated by his teachers and his parents. And that is it. And so he goes to the trusted people and mom passes it off and dad ignores it and then tells him something that feels like the thing, right? And then he misinterprets it and then nothing happens. So he then explodes. I mean, it's really, really understandable what happened, you know, where, where he was, Yeah, but they did a great job. And I do want to say like, did you guys notice at the very, very beginning? Cause it, it opened up with them walking the boys to school. Did you see the boys grab hands? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. And then drop. So right when they come together, right when Max is on, on the left and Jabbar is on the right, they are, they grab hands and I don't know if one grabbed the other. I couldn't tell. And then they shook it off. And by the time they were walking into the school, they had dropped hands. But I was like, oh, that happened for a reason. You know, all I really noticed was that Max didn't have a backpack. He had one of those wheelie suitcases. And I thought that was interesting and very believable. This might be a strange tangent, but just as a high school teacher, I've noticed that sometimes the kids with the wheelie suitcases 
I don't know. It's like not as popular a choice. That might be a weird thing to say, but like, it's a little bit more like adult, you know? And I don't know. It just felt like the right move to show that Max doesn't fully fit in with all the other kids who have mm-hmm. backpacks. Yeah. Like in some ways he's more logical, like an adult, like, like that's who carries those. They, they, they take those to the airport and stuff. I don't know if that makes well, any sense. Well, now I'm wondering, I'm not an expert at all, but I'm wondering, is it maybe a sensory thing? I think it might if be. If he doesn't want something hanging over his shoulders, mm-hmm. I think touching so. him all day, you put it on a stick and drag it behind you. Well, that's, that makes it sound primitive, but yeah, put it on a <laughs> rolling bag. He's not like a hobo. Like the hobo stick that all the kids <laughs> carry yeah. around these days. Bindle, Yeah. <laughs> How'd you know the word bindle? Maybe you knew the word bindle. I never used bindle. bindle. You have a very good vocabulary. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm like hobo stick. (laughs) What you said earlier about um, Crosby saying we're super likable and stuff, that feels like qualities and difficulties. Mm. And it feels kind of akin to Camille admiring slash envying a trait in Zeke that comes naturally to him that doesn't come naturally to her. I feel like maybe that's what Crosby was driving at of this is easy for you, but it's not easy for everybody. It's also easy for Amber to talk to Amy and it's not easy for Mm -hmm. Drew to talk to Amy. Yeah. Quick side note. I thought the way she talked to Amy was hilarious because she's like literally two years older than she is. And she's like, I didn't know the kids knew television. I'm like, you're (laughs) two years older. Like, why are you saying the kids today? So sophisticated. I really liked this episode. It was lovely. So was it a bummer, Jana? I'm sorry. Uh, no, no. I mean, it's just, I, I think because the show does such a, an excellent job of being real and taking on real issues, um, even though this isn't like an issue, you know, like, oh yeah. my gosh, it's not the PSA um, show. <laughs> but, but I mean, it just takes on on the realness of things. And, and with this, with needing to find balance in one's life and, and needing to have some semblance of control over your life and, and going through everybody's dealings with that. It, it's hard. I mean, it brings up my own shit and I just, I just think that's, what's hard. You know, honestly, we, we ask people, you know, is this a show like the people who don't already watch it, you know, who aren't already fans. And we just kind of ask them to come on because we love them and think they're good conversationalists and they're so kind to do it. But like, some people say the show isn't for them. And I, I get that. You know, they're like, it's not an escape <laughs> mm-hmm. the way that I like television to be. It's a, a reminder of the awkwardness and sometimes the pain mm-hmm. and sometimes the joy and laughter. I mean, the show, the episode ends on a very joyful note. I did take the note that the celebration between Adam and Crosby when the loan came through, I thought was real fun. I got a real kick <laughs> out of Adam dancing in the booth. I, ca- I could not stop looking at Crosby playing the drums because I'm like, do you know how to play in real life, Dex Shepard? Or are you just like, did you learn how to do this beat? Because his mouth was open the whole time. Like the way that women put on mascara. And That's, like, I was about to make that comparison. <laughs> and so I was like, I've never seen anyone who's really comfortable on a drum set not being able to control their facial expressions. And so I, he didn't <laughs> seem comfortable. And I was just like, close your mouth. He can't. <laughs> and I don't think he was really playing because I feel like I was hearing eighth notes on the hi-hat and he wasn't playing. Oh, yeah. They, well, it's like he started and then, yeah, they did that over... The, the played this other music over and yeah. I think probably because he is not a, a very right. good drummer. Can he play the piano? Like when did we actually see him play the piano in Jana's last episode? I don't think we I don't, did. 
Thank you. So did. just the character Crosby is musical, but maybe Dax Shepard is not. <laughs> uh, judging from how he sang the wheels on the bus when Jabbar had to poop, <laughs> I think Dax Shepard might be tone deaf. Oh, oh. man. That's intense. But one thing I liked about this episode is that a lot of the storylines were kind of slight. Like, Zeke's doing an ED commercial. Drew has an awkward first date. These kids have an argument about who's going to sit next to who at lunch. But it opens up such larger issues. But in a way that didn't feel like mountains out of molehills. Mm -hmm. If you were those kids' parents, it would be a big deal about who they're going to sit next to at lunch. And come on, go, you just put yourself back in your, your elementary and middle oh, school days. Oh, we've been a huge deal. It's huge. Lunch is the biggest yeah. stressor. Like yeah. we change kids' schedules. By golly, they are freaking out about which lunch they're going to have and who they're going to yeah. sit with. That's a big deal. And then especially for Adam and Christina, when you add in that mainstreaming element, which is still very new, it, yeah, it would be a big deal. That's something the show does well that I really like. I felt for Jabbar. The Jabbar Mac story was the one that really, really cut me this one because it was just yeah. so intense. And you want, they they want to care about each other. They don't want to have conflict, but they both want something that doesn't work for the other person. And it's just yeah. so easy to, to be like, you guys are not wrong. It's just, we've got to learn about compromising growing up. And I just really felt for their parents on this because you there's no solution. You know, there's a compromise, but no, Mm -hmm. but that's really hard for kids because you want it to be either disappointment, like, sorry, I'm not going to work or yay, you got the thing and and to work through that. But it's really hard to go to the middle. And that's what this has to do. It has to go to the middle. Yeah. And that storyline didn't resolve. No, I noticed that. I thought it was so interesting. It ended with Jabbar getting shoved to the ground. Yeah, Yeah. they didn't resolve it. And instead... It's kind of sweet that maybe maybe the resolution we get is that Adam and Crosby realize they're separate from their son's issues. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're kind of like a little bit miffed at each other in that last scene at the beginning. And then once it's like the loan went through, they're just celebrating their own thing and they're no longer kind of like living through their kids. Not, that's the wrong way to put it, but like feeling on behalf of their kids. They're like, right. you know what? We are separate from them and we've got our own relationship and our own stuff. That's a good point. That's exactly what I was trying to articulate about Christina earlier. She often is feeling entirely on behalf of their kids. So when mm-hmm. Hattie gets cheated on, Christina acts like she has been cheated on. <laughs> and that's what I admired, that she separated how much pain Hattie was in and still recognized that Alex was in a lot of pain and could use some comfort too. It's like, good for you, Christina. That's being a grown up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also felt real bad for her at the playground, just watching her waddle out of that meeting. Oh, my so Lord. So pregnant. And it's like, oh, right. She's dealing all of this, like, eight and a half months pregnant or whatever she yeah, that's a, That's a big belly. I think that covers it. Um, Janet, thank you again. This was wonderful. And I love pleasure. seeing you. And please follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We're Parenthood Pals everywhere. And you can always find us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Thanks again to Jana. Thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.